Hey, creep. I want to tell you a tale, if you're ready to hear it. It may not be pleasant. It may not end the way you want it to. But this story is gripping, and as fascinating as it is shockingly horrifying. Are you ready? My name's Cole, and you're listening to Tales. Before we begin today's tale, I would like to say to everyone who might have missed the title, this is part two of a multi-part episode, and that I strongly advise you to go back and listen to last week's episode before continuing. I would also like to correct myself in my pronunciation. Last week, I kept pronouncing the last name of Johnny as Gosh, when it is in fact Gosh. With that out of the way, I would also like to say happy birthday, creeps. Today is Tales by Cole's first birthday. Almost exactly one year ago, we released our first episode of Tales by Cole. That episode was also a multi-part episode covering the case of Heather Thomas. I would like to remind every single one of you listening, when I call you creeps, it isn't an insult. I'm not reaching into your ear, into your home, into your personal space and insulting you. Creep to me is a term of endearment a term of care and affection. Being a creep means that you and I both, as well as everyone else listening, finds a certain fascination in the seeking of truth in those most horrible things that humans can do. So if you're new here, and you think I'm insulting you by calling you a creep, I'm not. If that's not enough, then I don't know what else to tell you, because I'm not going to stop anytime soon. For a lot of our listeners, being called a creep is being called a friend, and that's how I'm going to keep it. Now, with that said, what a wild year it's been, and I'm so glad we could join each other as we navigated the difficult waters of 2020 and beyond. Thank you to everyone who has spent their time with us this past year. Now, on to today's episode. Johnny Gosh was a runaway. That's what the cops had determined, without much evidence to suggest that indeed was the case. In fact, when Johnny had vanished without a trace on September 5th, 1982, police had arrived 45 minutes after receiving the call, despite only being 10 blocks away. They'd already had a theory built up and put together from top to bottom. To make matters worse, Orville Cooney, the drunken police chief, flat out refused to cooperate with Noreen and John Sr., and then to top it all off, rumors of Noreen's failing mental health had been circulating through the community. Those whispers, which were only too common, were asking whether her or her husband had something to do with their own son's disappearance. But the community of West Des Moines would soon have the record set straight, in a manner that would send shivers of terror down their collective spines. Johnny Gosh had been an isolated incident, a runaway, or perhaps a victim of unstable parents. The community was sure. There was no way that a stranger from outside their community or a neighbor within had taken Johnny Gosh, much less harmed him. That was the opinion, of course, until it happened again. Around 5.30 a.m. on August 12, 1984, a mere seven miles from where Johnny Gosh was taken, a boy named Eugene Martin, who also happened to be a paper delivery boy, disappeared in an all-too-familiar fashion. 
Just as Johnny had nearly two years before him, Eugene Martin disappeared wearing blue jeans, a red shirt, and a gray pullover sweater, leaving a satchel of undelivered newspapers behind. And Eugene had also been seen speaking with a man sometime shortly before his disappearance. Eugene normally delivered the morning papers with his older stepbrother, but just as Johnny Gosh before him, on the day he disappeared, he had gone alone. Eugene wanted to make some extra money and had gone out that morning by himself to reap the entirety of the profit from that morning of delivering papers. According to investigators, three people on their way to a balloon festival had driven by and witnessed Eugene speaking with an older man. According to those three witnesses, the conversation had seemed informal and familiar, almost as if it were a father-son conversation. The older man was described as being in his 30s, clean-cut and white, and the witnesses had seen them speaking on 12th Street and High View Drive between 5.45 a.m. and 6.05 a.m. And then, with terrifying swiftness, Eugene was gone. Sometime between 6.10 a.m. and 6.15 a.m., no longer than 10 minutes from the time Eugene had last been seen on the side of the road, and he was just gone without a trace. Just as had happened in the Johnny Gosh case, Eugene's disappearance was first brought to light when customers began calling to complain their morning paper had not yet arrived. Though unlike the Johnny Gosh case, West Des Moines Police Department reacted immediately, as well as the DCI and FBI, hurtling headfirst to bring a swift conclusion to the apparent abduction. And by 8.40 a.m. that very same morning, the search was already underway. Instantly, the comparisons were drawn within the community itself and its circle of gossip. And in that small sense, there was a modicum of vindication for Noreen. Eugene's mother believed and openly stated at the time that she believed very strongly that something similar to what had happened to Johnny Gosh had also happened to her young son, Eugene. She believed that the only way Eugene could have been abducted was if someone were to approach him asking for directions while in a car exactly what had happened to Johnny Gosh. The idea her son would willingly go off with strangers was never a possibility in her mind, much in the way that Noreen Gosh had never second-guessed the character of her own son as well. FBI and other coordinating authorities began stating that they were indeed treating the Eugene Martin case as a kidnapping, and that there had been a nationwide alert sent out describing the kidnapper as a man between 30 and 40 years old, Five foot nine, clean shaven, and medium build. Herb Hawkins, special FBI agent, provided this brief partial profile as well. Generally, the person is an introvert, a loner, who may or may not be extra guilt ridden on what he does, but will never turn himself in. But as far as the case went, there wasn't much to go on. Despite a reported sighting of Eugene Martin in a town called Ankeny, the lives of the Martin family would never be the same. Donald and Sue Martin, Eugene's parents, would never see their young boy again. As his 14th birthday came and went, Donald and Sue Martin took his birthday cake, wrapped it up, and put it in the freezer. They took his gifts and set them aside to wait for him, for when he'd return. But as of January 2021, Eugene has never been found nor is there really any information regarding his disappearance and what might have happened. 
Despite the quick action of the West Des Moines Police Department, it appeared that there were yet more complaints regarding their aptitude in handling of the Eugene Martin case. In a joint statement, Eugene's parents said, They know how to handle an armed robbery or a fight, but when it comes to missing children, they don't know. The answers that would break this case wide open are laying on some police officer's desk. They are just not using that information. It seemed as though the community had been healing, slowly rebuilding trust between neighbors once again, slowly loosening the leashes on children and returning to the way things had been before. Johnny Gosh had disappeared. That was a single child who'd probably run away despite what his parents thought. But just as the trust within the community had been built up once more, that's when Eugene had disappeared. And thankfully, unlike Johnny's case, the community and police weren't so quick to dismiss the Martin family. Two years passed in Des Moines, with no sign of Eugene Martin or Johnny Gosh, but there were also no other signs of trouble. So once again, trust began to repair between neighbors and those leashes on children were loosened once again. Just as the fear began to subside in a meaningful way, on March 29, 1986, another boy disappeared. It was the day before Easter and Mark James Warren Allen let his mother know he'd planned to walk to a friend's house just a short distance down the street. His mother agreed to let him go, but tragically, he never arrived. The next morning happened to be Easter, and Nancy, Mark's mother, realized as she awoke that Mark hadn't come home yet. Nancy would later say, It was Easter Sunday, so I thought maybe he went to his grandma's, knowing grandma would have an Easter basket there for each of the kids. So I asked my mom, but he wasn't there. I had phone numbers for his friends, called all of them. No one had seen him. Unlike Eugene or Johnny, Mark was actually a mischievous character. Not a bad kid by any stretch of the imagination, but one with a little more turmoil in his life leading up to his disappearance. Which shouldn't matter to a single one of you listening, but to the Des Moines Police Department, it sure seemed like a good enough reason to appear standoffish and reluctant to treat the case the same way they treated Eugene's case. Martin's own mother had described him as being a handful, who had often gotten into trouble, but ultimately the context of those words painted the picture of a mother who was more filled with remorse and guilt following the disappearance of her son, as opposed to a mother criticizing her boy. With Eugene... There had been a chance to redeem the police department and their mistakes in the Johnny Gosh case, but they'd failed to find Eugene as well, the same way they'd failed in finding Johnny, or whoever took him. And when it had happened a third time with Mark Allen, police weren't so ready to welcome that scrutiny of the public that comes with a missing children's case. With Johnny Gosh, the family had been given that dreaded line that they must wait 48 hours before reporting their child as a missing persons case. With Eugene, there had been no wait. There was an eagerness to prevent harm and to keep trust in law enforcement and the community at large. But when that had failed, it appeared the police department had once again looked to preserve their own image, falling back on old tricks, giving Mark Allen's mother that same line, that she must wait 48 hours before reporting him as a missing person. Perhaps it wasn't their own image they were looking after. Perhaps there was bias towards Mark himself, who was known to have been a bit rambunctious and a little bit of a troublemaker. I'm not sure which scenario destroys my faith in humanity less. Nancy Allen told reporters, I just feel like at this time, they were just afraid of... Afraid of what would happen with the Eugene Martin and Gosh thing. 
I got the distinct feeling that they did not want parents to be frightened to let their children sell newspapers or do different things. Although Mark had been a troubled child, he wasn't a runaway. In fact, he just transitioned from moving between his parents' home intermittently to living full-time with his mother. Mark had two siblings he was eager to get to know better. And that's not to mention the pizza that was waiting for him when he got home that evening. Nancy would later state, He walked out the door and the kids were getting ready to have pizza. And I'll never forget it as long as I live. The last thing he said to me as he walked out the door was, Save me some pizza, Mom. I'll be hungry when I get home. In both previous abductions, the boy being abducted had been a paper delivery boy, and they'd been taken in the morning. But Mark was neither a paper boy, nor had he been taken in the morning. While in the opinion of the community, Mark had clearly been abducted, was his disappearance connected to the disappearance of Eugene and Johnny? Or was it an entirely separate, but equally tragic event? So, creeps, that brings us to the end of our tale. If you enjoyed this episode and want more, please consider becoming a Patreon member by visiting patreon.com slash talesbycole, where we release a Patreon-exclusive podcast weekly for Patreon members generous enough to donate $5 or more. If you have some time on your hands, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. They are so incredibly important in getting these stories out there. And even more importantly, every five-star review gets me one step closer to moving out of my mother's basement. You can also join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Tales by Cole. This episode was written and narrated by me, Cole Weavers, and sound production and editing by Matt Black. Remember, creeps, take care of one another, stay safe, and don't forget to lock the doors. (laughs) 